For those who don't know me, um, so I'm Robert and Carol Campbell's son, Andrew Campbell's brother, so uh, younger, younger and handsome brother, um, so that's where I'm in the family, and it really is just a joy to be here. I'm a pastor in, the, in, our sister church, in your sister church in Fredericksburg, Virginia, uh, called Mercy Hill Community Church, so it really is just a joy and privilege to be here, and let me just say thanks for praying, uh, particularly for Fred and, Fred and Dawn Wendelmeyer. They, um, they were sent out of our church, and I love them dearly, and miss them dearly, but I'm so glad they are where they are. So thanks for, I know for years, the way you have supported them, the way you've prayed for them, and just really you have sent them forward. Um, so thank you uh, on behalf of our entire church um, for the way that you really have uh, just continued uh, to care for them. Really am grateful. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 1. Go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to jump around a, a little bit this morning, but living in, in, you don't need me to tell you this, but we live in an increasingly soundbite-driven culture, right? And we, we get things more instantly, but the things we tend to get information-wise tend to be shorter and, and quicker, and it seems that just culturally we have little attention span and we get less seemingly every year. That more and more our news comes from sources like Twitter versus, you know, actual journalism or, you know, sort of reports and you know, sort of papers and, you know, journals, they come more from Twitter and we, we get more information, but I don't know that we can process it as well as we used to. And as a culture, we seem to have this, this gift, I'll call it, of, of just putting things in the, in the most simple terms, of reducing things down more and more. And we probably just as time has gone on as a culture, we've seemed to have added less context and less nuance, but yet we throw out more data. Now, there's probably both good and bad to this, but it's clearly had a profound effect on culture and on things like politics and news and entertainment and on and on, and it's probably both been positive and negative impact. But I think there's, there's no doubt that we, we process information very differently than we used to. Now, I do think it becomes a problem, though, when, we, when it affects the way we approach Scripture and having a scriptural worldview. I think being in the age we live in it's easy to take big scriptural concepts and reduce them to something very small and very truncated. So I think oftentimes our worldview on particular topics can not necessarily be wrong, but just very limited on certain topics. So this morning I just wanna talk about one area where I think many Christians have done this in our day and age and in our, in our particular culture. Now, I'm not, I'm not foolish to think that in 45 minutes we're just gonna change all that, but I just, I hope to encourage you to develop your thinking and be sort of big, just to sort of form a, a big picture foundation, I encourage you to continue to think about sort of developing a, a bigger picture about our thought life. This morning I wanna, I wanna think together about thinking and about, the thought, uh, about thought life. As a, as a church in Fredericksburg, we've been going through a, a series on Genesis and we took several weeks out of that series when we got to just the part about man and woman being image bearers of God to talk about just different aspects of what that means and what that looks like because there's just profound implications for what it means to, to, to be an image bearer of God. And I think one of the I, things that it means is that we have the ability to think. So this morning I wanna talk about as those made in his image the gift and the responsibility and the ability that we have to reflect him with our thought life. So the main idea we'll be circling around this morning is that the life of your mind is critical to the love of your God. The life of your mind is critical to the love of your God. Now that might seem obvious that we need our brain to love God, 
But I think we can often have a narrow viewpoint on what the life of our mind means. I think we can reduce it down to simply thinking that the life of the mind means keep sinful thoughts away and try to have good thoughts instead. And while I think that's obviously true, it's also very limited. So this morning we're gonna talk together about being thinkers. Let me just encourage you from the outset. it's, this is not just for some sort of small, select group of people that like old dusty books, but, but I really do think this is for all of us, of using the gift of your mind, however smart you think you are, to love God and to love others and to image him well. So let's pray, and then we'll jump in. Well, Father, uh, thank you for this dear church. Lord, thank you for the way that They love the mission that you have set them on, the way that they love outreach to this community, the way that they love outreach beyond this community but around the globe and the way that they are. Lord, the way that they're eager to give of their finances to support missions overseas and the way that stirs up other churches. So Lord, I'm just so grateful for for the many gifts of grace that is represented in this church and Lord, I pray that this morning I'd be able to, in some small way, serve them along the mission that you've given them, that, Lord, that this would not just be sort of a a burden of mine that I share, but that, Lord, you would would give each and every one of us just a sense of how the life of our mind really does does matter to you and how it impacts the mission and how it impacts our our walk and discipleship. And so, Lord, would you uh, would you be good to us this morning? Would you, give us, would you give me clarity? Would you give us all illumination and insight, I pray? In Jesus' name, amen. So, the life of your mind is critical to the love of your God. We're gonna be looking at four points this morning. And point number one is the foundations of human thought. The foundations of human thought. So if you have your Bible open to Genesis chapter one, we're gonna be looking at verses 26 through 28. But very briefly, chapter one of Genesis is, you probably know, I'm sure most of you know this already, but chapter one of Genesis is all about the power of God. It's it's about how God just opens his mouth and out of nothing just everything comes into existence from the grandness of the cosmos to the intricacy of of every cell and all things were created by, by the word of his power. So he just spoke and just everything came into being. So we just see his his, just, his, his supremacy and his power. And at the end of the chapter, the, the narrative slows down dramatically and he creates man. And he creates man not by the word of his power but with his own hands. And man is the crown jewel of his creation. And so the, really the, the height of the narrative is, is the making of man and the making of men and women. So let's read of that in verses 26 through 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. 
So again, these verses just, they contain so many things that to to image God has so many aspects, so many just implications for our ethics, for our identity, but but just to touch on two things that that are, are, are in particular helpful for our topic this morning, we see that first, he made us, he made men and women in his image and likeness. Now this contrasts how he made everything else, how he made every other living thing. Everything else that lived, he made according to its own kind. And so he made giraffes like giraffes, and he made lions like lions, and he made fish like fish. But he made us in, as a reflection of him. Humanity was created in, as, a, as a mirror of, of what God is like. And then he also gave us dominion, and he gave us dominion over all the earth, over every field of the earth, and the language there is that, that he made us his, his royal viceroy, his, his representative on the earth. Now what's this have to do with our thought life? Well, just as man is, is unlike every other creature on earth, the mind of man is unlike every other creature, every other living creature. There's something about our minds that, that's just different than the rest of living creatures and that, that we have minds and we have, we, we're thinkers in a different way and we have, we have intellects and we can know God. We can actually know true things of God and his world through our minds and, and we learn and we, we have more than instinct and we have more than memory. We're, we're learners and we're thinkers and we can reason and we can all come together and reason together and we can, we're able to process information. We're able to pass on information. We're able to learn things like scientific laws and we're able to have, we're able to be rational. We're able to pass on information from generation to generation and then have that generation build upon the base of knowledge that was there. We're able to do this because we are made in the image of a God who is rational. And he created a rational world. He created a world where mathematical laws are, are the same each and every day, every year, all year. He created a world that, that, that just has a way of functioning that, that, is, that is rational and consistent and we're able to know. So he, he gave us more than a brain that happens to direct our nervous system. He, he gave us a mind. He gave us an intellect. And then he gave us dominion over the earth and we are his royal viceroy and representative. Now this is important because I think, I think it implies that in order to rule and subdue the world, we, we must know something of the world. We must learn something of the world. We must know something of this world that we've been given dominion over. Because we didn't arrive on day six or the day we were born or sort of when the, when the first generation of humanity died out. We, we didn't know all we are to know. But rather, part of exercising dominion is to learn and to, to pass on to, to, to others to better exercise dominion. So there's something about to, to actually exercise dominion that he gave us, we must learn how to do it. And the language in Genesis 1 is that, is that of a viceroy. Now, a viceroy is someone who rules on behalf of the king when the king is not in the country. So rules when the, either the king is not in, the, in his own country or maybe sort of if you, th- sort of the king's in his own country but they have another, you know, a, like a colony or that kind of thing and so the viceroy is in charge because the king is not physically present. And so the king's really, it's his rule but, but, but the viceroy is the one actively on the ground sort of making the decisions and, and, and following sort of under the king's instruction. He, he's the leader, he's the one 
ruling the land. Now, if a viceroy went to rule and knew nothing of the king and knew nothing of the homeland and knew nothing of the land he was in, right, we would just very clearly, well, the, the viceroy would fail. He wouldn't, he wouldn't do a good job. When, when God gave us this role of subduing the earth and having dominion over the earth, it's, it's, it's inherent that we just have the ability to learn of, of the God who we serve, of the land that we serve, and we, we, we have the ability to learn. You know, animals, you know, they, they have memory, they have instinct, and, and they're able to pass on information, right, gener- you know, in some ways, they're able to pass on survival skills to the next generation. But we, we have an ability to, to every generation ha- have that base of knowledge grow. Just watching with my kids, we watched a, um, a documentary on polar bears, and it was as exciting as it sounds. And, um, but there was this documentary on polar bears, and they were just talking about the life cycle of the polar bear and how the, how the, you know, the mom polar bear passes on sort of like hunting skills to the cubs and, and all this sort of thing, and how they how just sort of like how the cubs learn it and how they pass on sort of this ability to survive. But you know, polar bears, and I hope you know this, we're not the same as polar bears, right? Like polar bears have learned all they will ever know. They, they have exercised the, the, the height of their base of knowledge, right? Polar bears are never gonna sort of all corporately get together and sort of learn sort of the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and next thing you know they're in molecular science and sort of figuring stuff out, right? Or they're never, Polar bears aren't gonna sort of put all their ingenuity together and sort of write books and eventually sort of figure out how to split the atom. Any effort to sort of save the polar bears aren't gonna be, isn't gonna be led by the polar bears, right? There's a sense of like, the, the, the height of sort of their knowledge base is, is, is capped where it is, and that's how animals are, that there's a, there's a capping of the knowledge base that they have, but for humanity, we have the ability to learn and to, to, to learn about the world and then to, to, to pass it on from generation to generation to sort of build upon the base. And so just thinking of things like putting a man on the moon, it wasn't because one guy was in a vacuum sort of just really bright and sort of figured out sort of all there was about physics and all there was about engineering and all there was about space travel and sort of in, in, on his own wet level just put it together. No, it's because, right, there was generations that sort of knew of engineering and they were able to build and build and build. And so by the time you get to the 1960s, you had a, enough knowledge and then they, they were able to know, a, you know, so engineering and physics and travel and safety and, and, all, and, and all the things that went into it is because one generation was able to pass on and pass on and pass on until humanity was able to put a man in the moon. So we, we, are, we have the ability to to learn of the world and pass on information about the world that is unique to mankind. We image a God who is rational. So I would submit that thinking and learning and and growing in thought life, both corporately and individually, is necessary to fulfill our mandate. Okay, so... What, what, what's the saying? So it's obvious you, you, you've been given the gift, you, you, you've been given quite the gift and you've been given quite a responsibility. You, you've been given a mind, you've been given an intellect, you've been given the gift of thinking and problem solving and learning and, and, and taking what others have passed on and building upon it. You, you have the gift of thinking. I'm sure there's probably a lot of parents here rolling their eyes and like, well, I don't know if you've met my son, but I would submit every person really does have the gift of thinking. To be a person is to think and to reason and to be rational, to have an intellect. Whatever 
IQ scores are in this room, we all have this. So to, to be made in the image of God, I think, points to this. But I don't want you just to think, okay, cool. I, I've got something my cat doesn't have. That, that, that's good news. I want to plead with you for the rest of our time to not waste it. Don't waste the gift you've been given. Don't, don't waste your mind. Because we don't just have a human ability to think. Christians have a redeemed mind, have minds under the lordship of Christ. So I think Christians, above all other people, should recognize what a gift that we have been given in the mind, what an opportunity we have to bless the world with it. And no matter how intellectual you, you, you think you are, you, you can see the world rightly. And so Christians should be all about the life of the mind because it really is necessary in the love of in the love of God. So again, life of the mind is critical to the love of your God. Your thinking matters to God. The, the second thing we wanna look at is the importance of Christian thinking. Go ahead, and if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 12. A lot of places we could look. We're just gonna look at two passages to talk about the importance of Christian thinking. Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 30 says, says this, and one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. So Jesus is questioned Jesus is, is, is questioned, and I would submit Jesus is, is a pretty good authority on the topic of, of, of commandments, right? So Jesus, who's probably the, and I would say not say probably, who is the greatest authority ever to live on, the, on which commandments would be most important, and so they, they ask the right guy, they ask the right question, which commandment is most important? And Jesus answers, here's the most important commandment. Love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. Now Jesus is not dividing us into various sections. He's not saying, okay, here's, here's a heart part, and here's the strength part, but, but, he, but he's making the point of love God with, with all you are, with all the fullness of, of, all your faculty, of all your faculties, with all of each of them you're to love God with. So this is not emotional people, love God with your affections. Strong people, love God with your might. He's not trying to sort of put mind and emotions or, or head and heart against each other or thinking versus feeling. He's saying all of it, every inch of all that you are, you are to love God. And in context, what, what, he, what he's saying then is, is all your cognitive capacity is to be marshaled to love God, that, that the life of your mind matters to God. That worshiping isn't just your singing or your feelings or your obedience. That worship of God is, is an activity you do with your mind. You cannot love God and be lazy with your mind and thought life and how you think. That, that part of loving him is, is how you use your mind. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3-5, through 5, it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons are our, of our warfare are not of flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. So, verse three and four, Paul is 
talking about spiritual warfare. He's talking about how do you, about destroying strongholds and he's saying we have divine power. And so the language Paul's using is military warfare language. It's this, there's a fight, just in the same way we think of a military fight, there's a fight going on and it's a spiritual fight and it's, we have divine power. We have divine power what? To crush Satan and having the world have no claim on us. So how do we, how do, we do this? How do we crush Satan? How do we demolish strongholds? Well, verse five says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So how does verse five say? It says, you destroy arguments and lofty opinions against the knowledge of God by marshalling your mind, by taking every thought captive. That the way you think, taking thoughts captive is, is, is spiritual warfare. And that every thought is to be captive to God. So your mind and how you use it matters to God. And I just say that taking every thought captive, we'll talk more about this at the end, but taking every thought captive is a very active process. That the, the lazy mind is the captured mind, but the, the, the active mind has the ability to, to take thoughts captive. And for the Christian, I think really the, the stakes could not be any higher on the life of the mind. So, so how do we do this? How do we how do we take thoughts captive? How do we, how do we exercise our mind in, in, a, in the right way? Well, point three that I wanna look at is roadblocks to Christian thinking. So before we look at how we do it, I just wanna look at some things that I think often stand in our way. See, we think, I think we often think wrongly about our thinking. I think Christians have some bad tendencies about thinking because I think we, we, we live, in a, in this, obviously in this culture, and we breathe the air of this culture, and this culture is, not interested in right thinking. This culture is not interested in, of, with glorifying God with their thought life. And yet we, so we live in a culture that's not interested in it, yet we breathe the air of this culture and the air of a twisted and broken and not clear-headed world. So, so I just wanna, this isn't in depth in any way, but just some things to be aware of so we can combat them with truth. They're just things that often stand in the way of thinking rightly. So I think we live in a, very anti-intellectual age. We live in a very relativistic age. You will, this won't be a surprise to anyone, you will hear on probably every college campus in this country, sadly even some Christian campuses, that you really truly can't know anything with certainty. That there aren't absolutes. Or if there are absolutes, we, we can't really know them. That there's thinking that might be clearer than others, and we have sort of group think that we build a consensus on. We have the latest thinking on certain topics, but, but sort of that just way of thinking is just in the intellectual air we breathe. That truth and values and ethics and morality are these sort of relative and moving top, sort of moving targets. And anything we claim to know is actually faith and it's actually arrogant. To which we just need to be able to say, no, we can know and we can know with certainty because God knows everything and God has revealed it. So we can know truth. We can know truth about God and his world because God is a revealing God. And so relativism is a lie. We know the truth and we don't need to apologize for it. We don't need to back down from the fact that God gave humanity a mind and an intellect and those are meant to, to reveal him, that God is a revealer of truth. And just because the world has a bunch of messed up thinking, that does not make truth a relative concept. And so I think we can just go in dismissing any sort of anti-objective thinking. 
I think sometimes Christians, too, can fall into a trap of just being skeptical about thinking because, right, it talks about how, you know, knowledge puffs up and, you know, being puffed up is bad, you know, not just physically, it looks bad, but sort of being puffed up and being proud is is bad and and, and to be arrogant is a bad thing. We don't want to be puffed up and so there's this sort of, well, better not study a lot, sort sort of the way the logic would go and which I would just submit, well, listen, knowledge Knowledge with no love will, will puff up. But our goal isn't to be better thinkers so people can, around us can say, boy, that guy, man, when he talks, he just goes nine layers deep and he, he's a bright guy. Like, that's not our goal in, in learning and thinking, but our goal is to be better lovers of God and of people and knowledge and study and, 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 the, and an active thought life produces that. It doesn't stand in the way of that, but rather it helps facilitate it. I think we can be skeptical of just sort of engaging our mind in serious study because we've all probably run across the intellectual and boy, they are bright and they, they, could, they could recite more facts than you, they could give more theories than you, they, they are just bright, but boy, they seem to be so far from the kingdom. If you ever probably had that college professor in an intro to philosophy class and just he's a bright guy and faith was a bad word to him and Science and reason were his God, and he was smart, and he's a lot smarter than you, and sort of you can, you can run across people like this, and you can just kind of just get this mindset of, boy, it seems like faith and facts just sort of run in opposite directions, and faith and, and sort of faith and intellectualism just sort of go in opposite directions, and so, so you never engage seriously. Well, honestly, it can just, it can just seem impractical given the limitations of your day-to-day life, just given the limitations of maybe your personality and you know, maybe it seems helpful for people that are wired a certain way. You know, you might have sized me up correctly that I'm kind of nerdy and I like puzzles and cats and books and kind of think, okay, yeah, you, you should go study in a corner by yourself, but that, that's not me. I'm, 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 not, I'm not bookish. I'm not the guy who just likes sitting around in evenings and doing puzzles and reading books. I, I like to do fun things, and so study's not for me. Let me just appeal to you that taking every thought captive, having control of, of the life of your mind really is for you. That God being the Lord of your mind is for you. In Romans 1, it speaks of the unconverted, and it says that those who claim to be wise became fools, but God reveals his wisdom through the foolishness of man, and that means in a nutshell is, listen, when it comes to intellectualism, give me the one who trusts in the gospel, and there is one who is wise, and he is much wiser than any college professor or academic anywhere, because what he knows is actual knowledge revealed by God, who is the source of all truth. And faith and reason are not incompatible. Scripture never places, they are never seen in conflict with each other. Now, right, it was referenced this morning, so faith, faith and sight at times can be seen as sort of having this tension and maybe conflict, but, but faith and reason actually go together because our faith is not built on superstition, it is built on facts, it's built on reliable evidence, and it is built on revealed truth. There's a famous skeptic who once said that faith may be defined briefly as an illogical belief in the occurrence of the improbable. I think there's this 
cultural notion out there that that's what faith is. It's, it's believing in things despite evidence. It's believing in things despite logic. It's believing in things sort of despite them being not true. But faith is not illogical. Faith in Christ is built on history. It's built on facts. It's built on reasons. And so, listen, Christians should not concede the mind to the skeptic because the more you learn, the more you truly learn, your faith will grow and not shrink. So we can just reject sort of this idea of it's either faith or facts because here's the reality. Both faith and facts are both under the dominion of Jesus Christ. They're both his territory. So we can walk fully in both. We can both be learners and those who have hearts full of faith. So let's not fall for any traps of wrong thinking, of why not to pursue thinking, and let the life of our mind be used to, to love God fully. Here's the reality of your life if you are a Christian. You, you can be a thinker because God took what was the anti-God intentions of our mind, your mind that was once postured away from him and he bought it and he claims it and he's remaking it and he's, he's calling you to grow in it and he's calling you to, to image him in your thought life. So just how do we do this? So just two things that I think we, we ought to study, two ways that we can grow in our thought life. I think just two, two implications, just two ways that we can sort of grow and study. I, probably, I don't know um, if you've ever seen this commercial. It was a popular commercial when I was a kid, but there was a picture of an egg, and like the egg would be on the screen. It was just like a, like a regular egg. And then they would, they would break the egg and fry the egg, and it would say, so the picture of the egg would say, this is your brain. And then after they would start frying it, and they'd say, this is your brain on drugs. And the image would just sit there. And the, the sort of obvious message is like, drugs mess up your brain. Don't do drugs. Like there's just sort of a way that, Drugs take something that, that's whole and complete and good and it just, it just scrambles it, it ruins it, it, it breaks it. I think as we think about this topic, I, I think in a sense I want, I want you to have that picture in your mind but I kind of want to do the inverse. I just want to say sort of that picture of that fried egg, that picture of, of the destroyed sort of ruined mind, if, if you will, this is your brain, this is your mind without him. Your mind without him is, is, is broken, it's wicked, it's messed up, it's scrambled. When, when man fell, when humanity fell in the garden, it didn't destroy our capability to think, but I don't know what else to call it. It, it, our, it broke our thinker, right? We, it, made us, it made us love what is false. It made us love what is irrational. It made us love lies. We, we, our minds were born in rebellion to him. But God saves us and he transforms us and he takes anti-God thinking and shows us how to think rightly and, and he takes what, what, what was messed up at the fall, messed up when we were living in rebellion to him, but he has a way of, of taking what is messed up and, and making it whole again in a sense of, of reversing the picture of where we start at this broken, he has this way of, of taking it and making it complete, making it right again. So how does he do that? How does he take what is born broken? How does he take what, what sort of breathes in the broken air all around us? How does he take that and make it whole and make it good and make it, make it just sort of, yeah, just, just make it something that, that, that is better than it was and, and sort of take what is broken and make it complete again? How does he do this? Well, the primary way he does this is through this book. So if you wanna grow in thinking, study this book. Study this book like it is the source of ultimate knowledge. Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, 
what is good and acceptable and perfect. So how do you, how do you not look like the world? How do you get transformed to look more like Christ? How do you know the will of God for your life? How do you know what's good? Right? We, don't, we don't know this by luck. We don't know this because we happen to stumble upon the right fortune cookie one day. Right? We, we, we know this because we engage our minds with truth and then our minds are renewed day after day after day. Your, your mind and your mind in this book holds the key to your growth. This book, in a sense, unlocks the, 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 the key in your mind. It has a way of renewing and transforming It has a way of taking what the fall broke and reversing it and God using it to make it whole again. So you wanna know how do you walk with your life in ways that please him. You you don't sort of, let's take a poll on what what decisions should I make. Let's take a poll on sort of what I should do or we don't don't just get our own opinion. You go to where God reveals who he is and what he's like. Each and every one of us, because we are born in sin, we're born with we're sort of born, just messed up with our thinking. We're born, right, I mean, you don't, there's countless examples in culture around us. We're, we're born not knowing who we are. We're born not knowing what, what we're doing on earth. We're born not knowing who God is. We're, we're born being clueless, and then the more we get together, we actually get more and more clueless the more we sort of just talk to each other we, and we try to figure out our own way. We're, we have no idea when we're born how, 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 how life and the world is supposed to work. So we need to go to the place where he reveals what we are like and to what reveals what we are like, what he is like, what the world's like. We need to go to the place where reality is defined by God who is the maker of reality. So if you wanna take every thought captive, we need to get God's thoughts again and again and as you get them time after time after time, as you fill your mind with this book and just put it in and put it in, put it in, guess, guess what, least evil thoughts flee and his thoughts come in and the more you do this, the, the more these thoughts are captive again and again and again. So if you want wisdom, you need to go to this book. If you want direction, you need to go to this book and, and the reality of our fallen minds is they need a constant reminder and review of reality. They just do, but, and this book has it. We need to hear the story again and again and again until our thoughts are, are captive and are captivated by it. You know, for me to learn something, you know, I don't, I don't hear something once and then remember it forever, right? So my mom's here, she could probably say that, that yeah, that, that's true. I've told you a couple things a couple of times in your life, right? No, there's something like, I, I need to hear things more than one time to remember them. I need to hear things again and again and again. The reality of in in this world we live in, we we need to hear reality every single day and this book tells it. So we need to go again and again and again to get divine perspective. Now I I would guess that there are a number of people in this room that would say, yep, I agree, uh, of course, right? Like I need, the Bible's important. I know I need to go to the Bible regularly. I know the Bible's sort of the key to, to my thought life, but, but here, here, here's, here's the reality. I wake up and I'm tired. I'm physically tired and I'm mentally tired. I get home at the end of the day. I'm even more tired physically, mentally. And so, I hear what you're saying, I understand what you're saying, I agree with what you're saying, but I don't, like, 
the hardest thing to do to a tired mind is, is to put it in front of something and, and ask it to, to learn and absorb. And so what we end up often doing is, I don't know, at least, at least I can relate to this, is it's easy just to turn on the TV and kind of watch sports and easy with my tired mind to play games on the phone or flip through magazines or read the far side or, or whatever it is. And, and I would submit there, there's, there's nothing wrong with any of that. But, you know, as I, as I think about my own life, think about, you know, I don't, I don't know if you've ever had a day like this, and this might surprise you looking at me, but there have been days where I've kind of eaten nothing but junk food. And um, there's just days where it's like, I didn't really, I don't know if you, I'll do this a lot when I'm traveling. Like, it just feels like there's, there's certain days that I, I sort of just, I don't eat anything good or healthy and like they don't even really eat a meal as much as I kind of eat all day and kind of like junky stuff all day. And, and at the end, like halfway through the day, there's this sense of like, I'm not really hungry, but I'm not really satisfied. And it's one of those like weird, like hunger kind of things. And, and, I, and I'm, I'm not full, but I'm, I'm definitely not satisfied. And it's just one of those kinds of things where I've sort of satiated the appetite, but not really. And here's the thing, our minds, I think are no different than that. Our minds were made with an amazing capacity to experience the greatness and grandeur of God. We were made to, to marvel at his bigness and at his beauty. And I would submit, I don't think most days our brains are too tired at the end of the day. I don't think most days my mind wakes up and it's too tired. I think my mind is often too tired of not being given satisfying things. I think if you give your mind something to get excited about, if you... If you read this book and you stay consistent in this book and you go to this book like there is life in this book, if you, if, because there is, and if you give it the old, old story, if you give it the bigness of God, if you give your mind something to get excited about, our minds will come to life. Our minds will find energy you didn't know they have. Your mind was, your mind was made for big things. Your mind was made in the image of a infinite God. And it, was my, and it wasn't made to be satisfied with sort of trivial thought after trivial thought after trivial thought. If you give your mind something to get excited about and stay consistent with the bigness of God and the bigness of his story and the bigness of, your plan, of his plan, your mind will come to life. I'd also say, I think this just, just encourage you, not just this book, but, but read other books that help synthesize and teach and simplify what this book says. It, it, I mean, you have a wonderful gift in, in, the, book, in the bookstore back there. And even that, I just I hope this is encouraging. The average reader, who, so average pace reader, so how many people, if there's 100 people in here, if sort of whatever pace 50 is for reading, the average reader reading 20 minutes a day, six days a week, would read thousands of pages a year. Over 25 weeks, so 20 minutes a day, six days a week, the average reader, 25 weeks, would read Calvin's Institutes. Listen, I, I think we, we can't underestimate just small, incremental steps of, of what, boy, and just think of how our lives would be different. We would just read thousands of pages of good books a year, the difference that that would make. So, so study the word. Secondly, second area to study is to study the world. Listen, I think Right, so on a thought, so on a message on the Christian thought on godly thinking, of course, there's like, yeah, of course, talk about the Bible, but but I want to talk about just briefly one area where I don't think, and 
we, we often put enough Christian thinking into. I think we, we, we need to study the word, but we need to study God's world. Francis Bacon famously said, God has given the world two, rev- two revelations of himself, the word and the world. Colossians 1 says, by him all things were created, in heaven and on the earth, visible and invisible. All things were created through him and for him. In him all things hold together, which means Jesus Christ is the means of creation, Jesus Christ is the purpose of creation. All creation points to Jesus Christ. Abraham Kuyper said, not a square inch in all of human, there is not a square inch in all of human existence over which Christ does not claim mine, which means all creation speaks of his perfection. All creation speaks of him and about him, and it's about his perfection, which means as you engage your mind to learn more about the world for the glory of God, you really are going to be learning about him and about his perfections. There's this, I think this mistaken notion often that, that the Bible is really important Okay, that's not the mistaken notion, just to be clear. So that, that's true, the Bible is really important, but everything else is just trivial. But I, 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 I submit that, that to, to study this world, to, to, because, to, when you, there's, a, there's a nobility in studying, in studying this world because when you study this world, when you study other things rightly, it leads to the praise of him and of his glory. Listen, all Christians should be involved in lifelong, in lifelong learning. Not, not for your job, not for money or vocation, but because it reveals him. I think all Christians should have something that they study and that they fill their mind with because it, it makes your soul just sing of him. When you s- study creation, when you study something like microbiology, there, there's just something where microbiology just shows the brilliance of God. When you, when you study the cosmos, there's something about it that just showcases his power and his creativity. When you study history, there's, there's a reality that it reveals his steadfastness and his sovereign control. When you, if you're into math and you study sort of math, there's just something, what you see about how, he, how he's orderly and he, he's not chaotic, but he's a God of order. And when you study something like the law, you just see the pursuit of justice and God is a just God. Study something like art or photography and you just, you just learn how, how, to, to, how to capture and express beauty. Well, you, you're, you're, you're doing so. Well, God is the source, and God, he is a God of all beauty. He is the source of all beauty. And so beauty and the study of beauty points to him. Something like music, you just, the more you study, you just recognize, boy, we're made in the image of a God who, who loves to express joy. So I just want to learn more about this. Whatever it is what we learn about, that all of it was, was, created to, was created to reveal his greatness. So the more you learn of these subjects, the more it will re- reveal his greatness. When you read to your kids and you just read them books that, that help their imagination come to life, right? You're, you're, you're expanding their capacity to think of the bigness of God. The reality of the world we live in and the reality of the world we live in and the world we study is it's all his. And so the Christian mind ought to be the best mind because all the world opens up to the mind of the Christian because you see rightly how it's all about him. And so we should learn because what we learn really is all about him. It should, when we study these other topics, it causes our affections and worship and awe of him to grow. So Christians should be the best learners and the best students and have our minds explode with knowledge because it really will help us love him more. 
So every one of us, I think, should be engaged in serious thinking because all true knowledge leads to knowledge of him. So the life of your mind is critical to the love of your God. Let's take every thought captive so that we can love God. Again, we're not about just thinking better for the sake of thinking better, but it's about so we can ultimately love him and his world better. And as you engage your mind, I believe you'll grow and you'll love and you'll worship in a more engaged way and you'll witness because this world, though their minds are darkened, though they claim relativism and uncertainty, they were made with minds too. And without someone to show them, they'll find answers in the wrong places. They'll think faith is turning off their God-given brain and intellect, but we can show, no, no, this is how it's all his. We can be those that highlight how really faith in him is the, is the height of being rational, how every square inch of all of the earth is, reveals the greatness and the grandeur of, of God. So let's be learners to better love God and to better love his world. And as we learn, as we study, We'll grow in just being, I think we'll, we'll be in humble awe of the God who is the source of all knowledge. Because the more we study, the more we'll learn how little we know of the infinite God and of the vast cosmos as we think about those. We'll, we'll, we'll never complete one area of study, right? I mean, we'll study our whole life and we won't master one topic. And put all human knowledge for all time, all people, we can't master one subject, and yet God knows all. So genuine study does not lead to arrogance, but to humility, because the more we know, I think the more we will recognize how little we know next to God. And we'll appreciate that man, with for all his understanding, can, can't even hold a thimble to the oceans of God's knowledge. We'll appreciate more fully that only God's wisdom would have devised a plan that included the cross because it is foolishness to man, but it is only the all-wise God could have designed it. And so the more we study, the more we'll be amazed at the all-knowing, all-wise, all-perfect in every way God, and we will learn that there are limits to our knowledge, but there are none to his. So we encourage you to study and learn and not waste your mind because it really is essential in the mission to love your God. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help each one, each and every one of us here to be those who increasingly, day by day, are, are those who our minds are captured by you. Now for everyone here, that as they think about the life of the mind, that this wouldn't be an overwhelming topic. This wouldn't be something that, where do they even start? That Lord, you give them practical. One, just, just start here. Here's, just start here tomorrow morning, opening up scripture, and that they would just start, and that they would engage their minds. So Lord, that you would give very practical application to each and every person here. And that, Lord, we would be those who better love you, better love your world by the way we engage our mind towards you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.